Epilogue to Quo Vadis, A Tale of the Time of Nero. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Quo Vadis by Henrik Sienkiewicz, translated by Binion and Malevsky. Epilogue. The revolt of the Gallic legions under the leadership of Vindex did not at first threaten to be very serious. Caesar was barely thirty-one years of age. No one dared to hope that the world would so soon be free from the nightmare that oppressed it. It was remembered that many revolts had already occurred during previous reigns without resulting in any change of rule. Thus, in the time of Tiberius, Drusus had crushed the revolt of the Pannonian legions, and Germanicus that of the legions upon the Rhine. And who, said the people, could possibly succeed Nero, now that all the descendants of the divine Augustus have been put to death? Others, looking at the Colossus, conceived him to be a Hercules, and thought that nothing could break his power. There were even those who, after his departure for Achaea, longed for his return, since Helius and Polythetes, to whom he had relegated the government of Italy, ruled even more cruelly than himself. Nobody was certain either of life or property. The law ceased to be a protection. Human dignity and virtue had disappeared. Family ties had been dissolved. Debased hearts dared not even to admit of hope. From Greece came rumors of the unparalleled triumphs of Caesar, of the thousands of crowns he had won, and of the thousands of rivals he had defeated. The world seemed to be one vast orgy, bloody and farcical. The opinion prevailed that virtue and heroic deeds had come to an end, that the time had arrived for dancing and music, for debauchery, for blood, and that the whole future trend of life would be in this direction caesar himself to whom rebellion opened the way for renewed plundering cared little for the mutinous legions or for vindex and did not even restrain his joy over the revolt he would not leave achaea only when notified by helius that further delay might result in the loss of his dominions did he set out for naples there he again played and sang disregarding the news of still more serious events vainly did tigellinus warn him that former rebellions of the legions had no leader whereas now there stood at their head a descendant of the ancient kings of aquitania a tried warrior of great renown nero's answer was here the greeks listen to me they who alone know how to listen and who alone are worthy of my singing he said that his first duty was owed to art and fame, but when at last he learned that Vindex had declared him to be a bad artist, he rose and set out for Rome. The wounds which Petronius had inflicted upon his self-love opened anew. He was anxious to seek justice from the Senate for such an unparalleled injury. On the road he came across a bronze group, representing a Gallic warrior vanquished by a Roman knight. He took this as a favorable augury thenceforth he mentioned the mutinous legions and vindex only as a jest his entrance into the city cast into the shade all former events of this sort he drove the very chariot which augustus had used in his triumph one arch of the circus was destroyed to open a passage for the procession the senate the knights and an immense multitude came out to greet him the walls trembled with the shouts of hail augustus hail hercules hail the divine one the unconquerable one the olympian the pythian the immortal 
behind him were borne the crowns that he had worn and tablets inscribed with the names of the cities where he had triumphed and of the champions he had defeated nero himself was intoxicated with emotion he asked the augustales who surrounded him what was the triumph of julius caesar compared to this the thought that any mortal could dare to raise a hand against such a demigod could not cross his mind he felt himself to be truly an olympian and therefore safe enthusiasm and the madness of the multitude stirred up answering madness within him in fact on that day of triumph it seemed that not only caesar and the city but the whole world had gone mad the flowers and the piles of crowns hid the abyss that yawned beneath yet that very evening the columns and walls of the temples were covered with inscriptions denouncing the crimes of nero threatening the near approach of vengeance and satirizing him as an artist from lip to lip passed the words he sang until he awakened the gauls alarming news circulated throughout the city and swelled to monstrous proportions the augustales were seized with terror people uncertain what the future might bring forth dared not express wishes or hopes dared not even feel or think nero however lived only in the theatre and in music nothing interested him save newly invented instruments and a new water organ experiments with which were made on the palatine childishly incapable of thought or action he deemed that he could avert all danger by promises of spectacles and exhibitions in the future the people nearest to him seeing that in lieu of providing means and an army he was exerting himself only to find apt expression for depicting the panic around him began to lose their heads others however thought that he was deafening himself and others with quotations only to hide the alarm and disquietude of his soul his acts became confused every day thousands of fresh plans passed through his head at times he leaped up to combat the danger commanding that his lutes and harps be packed upon wagons and that his young slave-women be armed as amazons while he sent out orders to recall the legions from the east at times he thought that he would conquer the rebellious legions not by war but by song and he laughed within himself as he conjured up in his imagination the spectacle of the soldiers yielding to song they would surround him with streaming eyes he would sing to them a hymn of victory after which a golden epoch would begin for him and for rome at times he called for blood at others he proclaimed that egypt alone would satisfy him he recalled the soothsayers who had promised him rule over jerusalem then he would move himself to tears at the thought that as a wandering minstrel he would earn his own livelihood and be honored in far-off cities and countries he would be honored not as caesar the sovereign of the world but as a poet whose like had never yet been seen in the world thus he struggled fumed played sang changed his plans changed his quotations changed his life and transformed the whole world about him into a foolish dream fantastic and horrible a mad rout of bombastic expressions wretched verses groans tears and blood and all this while the cloud in the west was growing larger and darker every day the measure was overfilled the farce was nearing its end when news came that galba and all spain had joined the rebellion he fell into maddened fury he crushed goblets overturned the tables at the banquets and gave orders which neither helius nor tigellinus dared to carry out 
to murder all the gauls residing in rome to let loose the beasts from the menageries to transfer the capital to alexandria seemed to him sublime and astonishing deeds that could easily be accomplished but the great days of his power had passed even the accomplices of his former crimes began to look upon him as on a madman the death of vindex and the consequent discord that arose in the mutinous legions seemed for a moment to turn the scales in his favor new feasts and new triumphs were ordered new sentences were issued in rome when one night a courier mounted on a foaming horse came dashing in from the camp of the praetorians with the news that within the city itself the soldiers had raised the banner of revolt and had proclaimed galba caesar nero was asleep when the courier arrived on waking he called vainly for the guards who at night watched the doors of his chambers the palace was deserted save for the slaves who were plundering in the remoter quarters whatever could be carried away in a hurry but the sight of nero frightened them away he wandered through the solitary hall filling them with cries of terror and despair at last his freedmen phaon sporus and epaphroditus answered his calls they urged him to flee saying there was not a moment to lose but he continued to delude himself suppose he should array himself in his mourning robes and appeal to the senate could the senate resist his tears and his eloquence suppose he should use all his oratory his rhetoric and his talent of an actor could any one in the world resist him would they not at least give him the governorship of egypt habituated to flatter him his freedmen dared not even now to contradict him all they could do was to warn him that ere he could reach the forum the mob would tear him to pieces they threatened that if he did not mount his horse at once they also would desert him phaon offered him a hiding-place in his own villa beyond the nomentan gate at last they all leaped upon their horses and covering their heads with mantles galloped off toward the walls the night was waning the streets were already in motion and gave expression to the serious character of the situation soldiers sometimes singly and sometimes in attachments were scattered throughout the city when they had reached the camp nero's horse shied suddenly at sight of a corpse the mantle slipped from his head a soldier who happened to be passing recognized the emperor confused by the suddenness of the apparition he could only give a military salute on passing the praetorian camp they overheard thunderous cheers for galba at last caesar understood that the hour of death was at hand he was smitten by alarm and by the reproaches of his conscience he cried out that he saw a black cloud before him from which protruded faces in which he recognized his mother his wife and his brother his teeth chattered from fright but even yet his comedian soul found a certain pleasure in the very terror of the moment that the one-time omnipotent ruler of the universe had now lost everything seemed to him to be the highest watermark of tragedy true to himself he continued to play the leading role in it the fever of quotation seized upon him a passionate hope that those around him would remember them for posterity there were moments when he cried out for death and would have summoned spiculus the most dexterous of all the gladiators there were other moments when he declaimed mother wife brother call me to death vain and childish hopes still flashed up in him ever and anon he knew that death was approaching nevertheless he could not bring himself to believe it they found the nomentan gate open 
they galloped through and passed by ostranium where peter had taught and baptized at dawn they arrived at phaon's villa there the freedman no longer concealed from him that the time for death had arrived then he commanded them to dig him a grave he lay down on the ground so that they might take his exact measurement but at sight of the earth cast up by the spades a mortal terror seized him his fat face paled clammy drops of sweat like morning dew stood out upon his forehead he strove for delay with a faltering yet still theatrical voice he cried that the hour had not yet come then he began to quote again finally he asked them to burn him what an artist is now perishing he repeated as if in wonder meanwhile a messenger arrived from phaon announcing that the senate had already pronounced sentence that the parricide should be punished according to ancient custom what is that custom inquired nero with ashy lips they will place thy neck in a fork flog thee to death and throw thy corpse into the tiber replied epaphroditus quietly nero bared his breast it is true then he said looking upward at the sky and once more he repeated what an artist is perishing the clatter of horses hoofs was now heard it was the centurion coming with his soldiers for the head of bronzebeard make haste cried the freedman nero placed the knife to his neck but he only pricked himself with a timid hand it was evident that he never would have courage to drive the blade in then unexpectedly epaphroditus pushed his hand the knife entered to the hilt nero's eyes protruded from his head horrible immense terrified i bring thee life exclaimed the centurion as he entered too late answered nero in a hoarse voice a moment later he added this is loyalty death had now seized his head the blood from his huge neck spurted in a thick stream upon the flowers of the garden his feet kicked the ground and he died on the morrow the faithful actia wrapped his body in costly stuffs and burned it on a funeral pyre drenched with perfumes so passed nero as passes the whirlwind storm fire war or plague but even to this day the basilica of peter rules over the city and the world from the heights of the vatican near the ancient capena gate rises to-day a little chapel with an almost obliterated inscription quo vadis domine end of epilogue end of quo vadis a tale of the time of nero by henrik sinkevich translated by s a binion and s malevsky read by david leeson